Hello, friends. Welcome to Unmuted Generations. I'm Ryan Mew, and in each episode, we focus on expanding our horizons and personal knowledge of the world to cultivate a happy and healthy lifestyle. Now, in today's episode, we're talking about the intimidating topic of money and finances, something that people don't always like to talk about, but really should be at the forefront of our society. My guest this week is Mark Fujiwara. He's a director and certified portfolio manager at Baird, an international finance firm with more than $305 billion, with a B, in assets. He's super passionate about helping individuals build their legacy and live the life they truly deserve through wealth management. So super glad to have him on. How's it going today, Mark? Really well, Ryan. How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Very excited. Great, great. So I guess really just to get started, we've been in a pandemic for close to a year, maybe a year heading towards a year and a half. And one of the things that I've seen amidst the pandemic is a lot of people have unfortunately struggled with money. Obviously, we have the government who's taking care of different stimulus checks and stuff like that. But we also see a lot of people starting their own businesses and trying to find new niche ways to make money. And one of the things I'm very, very big against is actually like the TikTok clout with people posting the way they make money through drop shipping, real estate investing, saying like, invest in this stock to become a millionaire, it's shooting up next week, or buy a $500 masterclass from me, anything along those lines. People are trying to portray themselves as financial professionals, even though they don't have the experience to. So before we start, I really want to just dig into like your achievements and like what makes you qualified? What's your background to talk about the topic of finance? No, sure thing, man. So I I started off actually learning a lot about what I'm doing now when I observed my family owned a a humongous restaurant in San Francisco. Down, uh, It was in Chinatown. I think at the time, the largest Chinese restaurant in San Francisco and Louisa Grand Avenue. Grew up there. I, I observed how a business was run as well as how to make money in the business. If you ever want to, if you ever want to make money in a Chinese food restaurant, you get a lot of the banquets and you have an, an uncle, a key person who who goes around and knows everyone in Chinatown and yeah, in Chinese culture. If someone's about to die or about to get married or turn thirty days old, you hold a big banquet. And pretty much, if you if you held one of those banquets, everything else is profit after that. However, my uncle, you know, passed away mid through uh, college as I was studying in business school to be a portfolio manager. And I quickly started to realize just some of the values of how building a business and having key people, that too, having key people around, key financial people. And it wasn't just about the investments. It was about everything surrounded that and having a succession plan. So that was a good learning lesson. It kind of prepared me for what I'm doing now and just trying to cover all the bases for for clients, specifically for business owners and entrepreneurs. It's just so important to, to have the right professionals in the right places. So from there, I just started working with a lot of business owners, working in, in the um, M&A space, but really was lucky to run upon a couple mentors along the way. Mm-hmm. One is one is actually one of the top producers over at the biggest investment firm out there. Another one, a similar situation. And then just started talking to, to very wealthy people and see how they made their, their money. And from there, I started to get the, the right professionals around, best of the best professionals, whether it be on the investment side or the any kind of financial type of expertise as well. Well, to start off, I I used to work at a financial firm, actually. And the utmost respect I have for people working in in this field is it's a lot because 
at the end of the day, you are dealing with somebody's like life pretty much, whether it's their retirement or they're saving up to get a house or something along those lines. Did you ever, is that one of the things that kind of pushed you to dive into the world of becoming like a portfolio manager and just finance in general is being able to help somebody succeed in their life with the help of money? Well, it's kind of a funny story there, backing up a little bit. So when I was at the age of seven, my mom and dad were great about exposing me to a lot of different things. And they used to take the newspaper out and I'd read the sport page. And finally, when I was old enough to read a stock page at the ripe old age of seven, my mom showed me the stock page. I was just enamored with it and just seeing all these companies that I knew. So she did a great lesson. She said, I'm going to have you pick a stock. And I picked a stock called Caesars. And because my mom and dad used to go up to Reno and uncles and aunties, and they lose money. I was like, making the money when they lose money. So I, I started to realize just the value of just the compounding interest. And thankfully, that stock went up. My mom and dad weren't making humongous salaries, but just seeing the value of saving and saving the right way and investing the right way, that kind of got me on the path to thinking, okay, that's a major game changer. If you're smart with your money, you can actually, you can actually do a lot of things, whether it's funding education, retiring early, go on vacations or whatever the case may be. You're smart with your money on all, all standpoints. It's going to go a long way. And I'm really glad you mentioned that. I mean, obviously, at the age of seven, you got a lot more exposure than a lot of other people did. I was just playing video games and Pokemon at that age, you know? But I think the really good thing that you just mentioned is like, you don't need to make a huge salary to start investing. Like, really, you should be starting it. I'm a big believer that you should be starting it as early as possible. I've talked with several people about this. And for me, at least, it's almost like you're developing the habits to where when you eventually make that high salary, it doesn't seem as so much of a shock to you if you happen to lose money or make money. And it's it's like you're going to make mistakes along the way, but you don't want to be like 40 or 50 towards almost towards retirement and you're just trying to dump all this money into an account and hope it goes up. Very good point, actually. A couple of things along those lines. Um, again, my mom fall, falls into this. Uh, I got to thank her for this. When I got my first job at 18, I earned a couple thousand dollars during the summer. So she, she told me, she said, well, we're going we're gonna to do a, a matching program here. And I was like, great. What are we going to do with it? She goes, I'm going to double your $1,000 and we're going to put $2,000 into an IRA. And I said, what the heck is an IRA? And so she started to educate me on the, the, the retirement account, deferred taxes and whatnot. I didn't like it at the time, but getting that head start was very monumental on a couple fronts. Early you do it. I, you know, I got my certified portfolio manager at Columbia University. And <laughs> one of the things that, you know, we're, t- we're taught by the best of the best, but one of the, one of the big lessons there was the time value of money starting early, right? Starting early. It's even more important than rate of return sometimes. So getting that head start also allowed me to be, be very smart with it too. And just in, in terms of seeing, looking at risk and looking at, in, in this case, I was going to increase, you're going to risk it, but not risk too much. And then you start to see just the, the, the things that, that were working and why somebody would invest in bonds. And when I got older, I would shift it towards bonds as I got closer to retirement. So that was a huge lesson back then. No, it's a huge lesson for everybody. And for somebody who's maybe listening to this and they aren't familiar with the uh, IRA and IRA, I highly suggest you look it up. Just enhance your own knowledge on it. But I, I think it's one of those things where, you, you know, first of all, where did your parents like, it seems like they've really tried to indoctrinate like this money mindset into you early. Like what was their background like? Well, my mom, I, I think because both my parents, they weren't, they weren't in the financial industry. 
My mom was a school teacher, actually. But, and then my dad worked for the uh, Alameda Naval Air Base, electronics. And, and however, the two common bonds that, that they had were they were just extremely good at math. So that's how I learned math. That's how they, they got me to be good at math was, well, one thing was learning how to read a box score, uh, uh, Major League Baseball, uh, figure out batting average and stuff like that. But in terms of money, in terms of that, that's where it became very exciting. So they were very, they'd always, you know, they, they were great educators in the fact that they always put it to real life situations, right? They didn't just say, okay, this is a formula, use it and use it when we see the problem on a test. It was like, okay, compounding interest was realized at the age of seven and eight in terms of looking at my savings account from, you can get this, the LIC money, the rent envelopes they used to get yeah. in February. So yeah, both of them, not in the business, but certainly very wise in the, in the ways that they you know taught me how to you know, specifically do math and just among other things. And obviously, like, I think there are some people who are better at math than others. But I think more than that, actually, your parents were just very disciplined, like, just like in the sense of like, not in a negative way at all, but they were just able to kind of say like, hey, do this, and they'll lead to this. I mean, it's, it's pretty much like a formula where if we teach you this early on, the skills will, will flourish, plant the seed early, and, and the crops will flourish. My grandparents were kind of the same way. My, my uh, grandpa, he was actually an educator, if I'm not mistaken, at UC Berkeley. Or, yeah, UC Berkeley, if I'm not mistaken. And my grandma, she was uh, one of the first Asian American women accountants out there. Obviously, my grandma came from the financial world, but my grandpa studied a lot of stocks. And he was luckily able to pass that knowledge on to my dad and, and his brothers. And, and it's kind of, you keep passing it on. But something that I wanted to bring up also is that nowadays there's so many different ways to make money. I mean, traditionally, it's seen as like, hey, invest in stocks, invest in mutual funds. But now it's like we see Bitcoin, we see people who are not investing and they're investing in like side businesses and stuff. How important is it to like really just focus on like the traditional aspects of like get a financial planner, get invest in some mutual funds versus like the, looking at the new ways, which may give you more bang for your buck? So yeah, there are a lot of new things out there. Fortunately, unfortunately, a lot of those things are just going sky high. You put the money in and it just runs up. We really haven't, as well, in March, we had a pullback. But I think it's really important because I do talk to a lot of, of you know, people that are either starting college, in college, or, or graduated college, or just starting their career. And they're investing in a lot of things they don't really understand. My son is not in that crowd. He does invest quite a bit. He, I talk to him on a daily basis. He's doing options. He's doing, he's investing in Bitcoin ETS, but he's one that really understands it because that's something that we always talk about. It's like, don't invest in anything that you don't understand because you probably learn the hard way. You probably learn the hard way. And in this type of market, it could really you know, be detrimental for what you're trying to save up for. So I think you're right, Ryan, just in terms of, of if you don't have the time to truly understand it, you don't have the time to truly understand it, then go with the basics. I think the best thing that you could do if you're working for a company, I always talk to kids that are just starting out, right? And they say, well, hey, I, I want to invest in Bitcoin. I want to invest in the commercial real estate or whatever the case may be. I said, well, let me ask you a question. <laughs> Does your company have a 401k? Oh yeah, I think I do. Do you put any money into it? And the answer is usually no. Look, most companies will match you, right? <laughs> And I, look, I always say this. I said, I'm really good, but I cannot double your money upon the contribution into your, in, into an account. Like, for example, if they're doubling your, you're doubling 
$500 that you put into your, to your company's retirement plan, they're turning into $1,000 because it's matching dollar for dollar up to a certain point. That's a no-brainer right there. A lot of times people want to get fancy and bring up good points about all these things. And it's very tough because friends are doing this, right? Their friends are claiming maybe, or, or actually some are actually doing it. And it's like, oh, I made a lot of money on Bitcoin. Oh, I made a lot of money on this ETF or I, I invested in uh, NVIDIA or invested in calls on Amazon or whatever the case may be. In terms of starting out, unless you're willing to really put in the time for that, then, then it's best to just start with the basics, right? Nothing wrong with that. And if you want to get a little fancy, instead of trying to do it on your own, get the ones, get the, get into mutual funds that maybe would replicate what you're trying to do. At the end of the day, someone that's managing most of these guys and gals managing mutual funds are so much more experienced than somebody that isn't in the industry and just trying to do it on their own. That Those are all really good points. And really just to break down what you said, and I'm just trying to make sure to clarify, so correct sure. me if I'm saying anything wrong, but really what you're saying is understand the industry of the stock, understand like the stock and the company, its holdings and stuff, as opposed to looking on a graph at Google and saying, oh, wow, it's going up. I guess that means I should invest now because its high point is 150 and it's at, it was at 130. I mean, it could go down hypothetically. That's just a very broad level analysis. That's not enough, if I'm not mistaken, right? That's absolutely correct. It's just, I think when you really don't understand the, the pure nuances of that, then you're really putting yourself subject to risk. And look, it's not going to show up today. It's not going to show up, may not show up in a month. But there's going to be a time where you pick a stock and it, it just is going up and up and up and up. And all of a sudden it drops out of the sky. That's, that'll happen. It's, it's, you know, it's bound to happen as well. I think understanding it is very important. You talked about getting a financial planner. And I think that's super important, even when you're, you're just starting off. You know, look, financial planners typically will charge you for, for the one session to get you up and running, get you an asset allocation. The other thing to, 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 to remember, too, is that you can also rely on the robo-advisors. Now, the robo-advisors are not going to go out and buy one stock. They're not going to go out and just buy Bitcoin. But they are going to give you an allocation. And the allocation is typically going to be something that is, is tested rigorously by, by, by all the algorithms, by, by, their, by the machine techniques and whatnot. So, so that's another way of getting, getting your feet wet. But I look, I'll admit this to you. I, I actually learned the hard way because it, it wasn't a bad lesson. But I, I invested in a stock. I put a few hundred dollars. I was 19 years old. And a friend of mine who wasn't in the industry said, Hey, I heard this good tip from a friend, right? That's all he said. The tip. <laughs> it was a technology company before Palm Pilot were, were a thing, before iPads were a thing. We had the pencil that... that like the stylus? Good. Yeah, it sounded like a really good idea. Well, in about six months, I lost a few hundred dollars. So it was a good lesson because it was like, oh, just because somebody says, this is a good company, got to do my research, right? Got to do my research. And also... That's the reason why that there's a risk side to the investment world. Nothing ever is a sure thing. If somebody said it's going to triple in value or quadruple in value, for sure, that it's not going to just keep on going up. There's always a downside to that. So, Yeah. And, and that's a really good point, too, because I think there's always a bit of fear. I know some people, I'm obviously not going to name their names, but I know a couple people who have 
thousands and thousands of tens of thousands of dollars in their savings account. And I've said, okay, well, instead of making $3 every year (laughs) annually, like, why don't you invest some of it in stock or mutual funds? And they say, oh, I'm scared. Oh, I'm fearful of it. And even talking to them and saying, hey, maybe talk to like a financial advisor, it, it still deters them a little. It, it just seems like there's a big aspect of if I put my money in stocks or mutual funds or just the market in general and it goes down, well, all this money I worked for, I'm going to lose it. Like with you, how do you create like a money mindset? Does it always have to be a trial by fire or is it, does, could it be something more of like a learning experience putting in little by little? Yeah. Trial by fire. Yes and no. But I think that the main thing to that is you know, having the money mindset, you have to figure out what the purpose of that money is for. Right. And when I say purpose, what the time frame is. You know, with all my clients, I put time frames on their money. So I had the question the other day. Someone asked me to say, hey, does your client, do your clients call you and they, do they freak out when the market is going down? I said, no. And why not? Why, why don't they call you? Because we, we have time frames on this money. So take a 25-year-old, right? And so I want to put some money in for retirement. This is going to be 35 years away. So you can be a little, you could be a, quite a bit more aggressive with that money. Not too aggressive, right? So, but however, if you're, you always have a purpose for that money. The purpose is to buy a house in a year. Oh yeah, absolutely not. Look for a CD, look for something that is always going to be there in a year. Don't buy Bitcoin. Don't buy you know, any high flying technology stock, you, you want to make sure that your money is going to be there. So you might have to just take the risk off the table and make sure that you get a little bit more interest in your savings account. But in terms of looking for a purpose, see, here's the way I figure it. So if you look at the markets, you go back to the start of the stock market, typically it's, it's an indication of about every seven to eight years. Right? And you can kind of go back and say, the reason why we haven't really had a downturn since 2008, that was the Great Recession. We were, that was horrific. That was almost like almost a depression where everything was dropping like crazy is because that kind of took care of two recession cycles. But if you go back and you look at every seven, seven to eight years, there seems to be a downturn. Some are less severe than others. I go back to 1994, that was kind of a recession that was just a kind of a blip on the radar. We were pretty flat for that uh, 1994 year. But every single time, there is some sort of slowdown in the market and slowdown in the economy. So if you figure that if you're in it for, call it 10 years, if you're looking for a 10-year, you don't need the money for 10 years. And yeah, you could pull it out if you need, need it for emergency. But if it's a 10-year type of, of time frame, type of, you know, the purpose of the money is for 10 years out, then you should be heavily weighted into the stock market. Because if you look at a 10-year period, almost every single time, most of the time, I think it's 98% of the time, 98% of the time in a 10-year period, stocks are going to outperform bonds, right? So you're always in a situation where you you can have that recession, have that downturn, even if it was 08. The 08 recession, we recovered in about two and a half years from the downpour downturn. So if you look at the, how that all played out and the recovery happening in two and a half years, you're looking at about the 10-year time frame. So looking that, keeping that in mind, that's something, something to look at. You have buckets for different sources of money. And the one thing I would say for the younger people that are starting to invest, I think there's two goals. The first goal is just start investing. Start having your money work for you rather than the savings account. Figure out what purpose those are. 
start putting money away for the long term. But the second thing, which is going to seem weird just because it's counterproductive to, to making money in the stock market, is to get three to six months of your income into some sort of liquid asset. It could be a CD, it can be a short-term bond, it could be savings accounts, it could be money market, even though they're not making that much money. I'll tell you why. There's something that, that goes on when you have a significant amount of money to take care of you for a six-month period. It allows you to, to live more in a life of abundance than scarcity. When you live in a life of abundance, not only is that better for your financial world, so that there's the things that are working for you, you know, 10 years out, you're able to make better decisions on that. But in terms of career, especially if you're an entrepreneur too, but if, in terms of your career or your, your bonus for performance, that allows you to think more free, not worry about just earning that last dollar. When you have that cushion, I think that's very important. The other thing that's going to happen is the fact that with that money, and I've discovered this time and time again, I always have liquid assets on the side. There's a couple things that, that would happen. You're going to see an opportunity that happened. Maybe a friend starting a company and, and it just is one of those types of things where it's just a no brainer. You're looking at it and you're saying, okay, all the boxes are checked off. The other thing I think it, it works, and I've done this on three different occasions, is sometimes a friend might need that, a friend that might need it more than me. I've had friends come to me and say, look, I don't know who else to turn to, but it would really help if I got a few thousand dollars in my pocket and look, I'll pay you back. I just have this thing coming up and yeah, no problem because people have done that for me. And you know, if I can do that for someone else, that's a big deal in their, their own lives. It just makes everyone else that much better. That's the Dave Ramsey approach. If I'm yeah. not, are you familiar with Dave Ramsey? Ramsey? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. What do you think of him and his advice? I think he, if, if any of the money gurus out there, he's the one I, I put at the top just because his stuff is very, his stuff is correct. He does it in a way that's very understandable. I think his mind, his, his heart is in the right place. I think if you, the main thing with any of these though, is you got to follow, right? You got to follow you got to, you got to, it's great to have that knowledge, but if you don't take action on the knowledge, it's, it's all for not. I, I like his approach and for uh, a lady named Jane Chatsky, who has, has written a couple books. She's good in a way too, because she talks about the emotional, personal side. Those two would be the ones that are highly recommended. The cool thing I love about Dave Ramsey is uh, he is just so raw with his approach, which I like. Like he tells you like it isn't sugarcoat anything. And that's something that People need to hear when they're investing, when they're taking care of their financial future. Because I know a lot of people don't like to say money runs the world, obviously, but you know, in a way, kind of does. If you want to do a lot of things in life, it does require, unfortunately, the dollar to go pay for it. If you want to travel, you need to go do that. If you want to raise a family in a big home, you have to go pay money. It's not just handed out to you per se. I want. I wanted to bring something up in terms of the money mindset. And I think a lot of us were brought up, not on purpose, but parents created this mindset of, look, we've heard it all, right? Money is the root of all evil, right? Money isn't everything. I mean, although I, I don't agree with some of his financial recommendations, Tony Robbins has a book where he talks about this in the last chapter, and he goes through just having a better money mindset. You know, money isn't thinking to yourself all time and time again, money isn't everything or uh, money doesn't grow on trees or money is the root of all evil. That's going to allow you to not want to make it. And 
it's all, all it's going to allow you not to make your money work for you, right? <laughs> if that's the case, you have this negative conversation. It's like, shoot, if I put it in Bitcoin, I make and make a bunch of money. It's, it's evil, right? <laughs> I think what needs to be done, and I, and I could go through a whole course on this, but just sum it up in a couple minutes here. What you need to do is you need to look at the purpose of that money. Instead of looking at it, just making more money, and you almost have to change the, the word and change the meaning of that. So, you know, put it this way. If, if you're saving up to start your own business and that's a, that's a big deal to you, instead of focusing on, oh, I got to make money. I got to try to make more money. I try to get more money. I try to earn more money. Try to get you constantly looking at, as you're saying the word money, what goes on in your head is, oh, I'm getting more evil as I'm, I'm going towards this. So you have like two things pulling at, at you in different directions. So when you have that purpose of why you want to make the money, it's a good exercise to do this. It's a, it's a good exercise. You can have a friend do it. You can do it just by yourself. So if you have a, I have a sum of money and say, okay, I have this money in the savings account. And it's like, why do I want to invest? It's like, okay, the, I want to make more money, right? Okay, why do you want to make more money? The whole seven why question. Why do you want to make more money? Um, because money, if I get more money, I have more freedom. Well, why do you want more freedom? Why do I want more freedom? I want to quit my job and start my own company and something something along the way on question number three, on the third wire, the fifth wire, the seventh wire, someone strikes it where it becomes so purposeful that you're actually a lot more motivated and there's no evilness in the money going forward. So finding a purpose, I think that's a crucial step to it. Not just making money because your friend's doing You're not making money because your parents are telling you to do this. You're not making money because I'm telling you to do it. You're making money for a purpose. And if the purpose means sometimes it is for retirement. Someone's starting off and just saying, hey, I look at my mom and dad and they were not my mom and dad, but they worked till like they were 75 and just only had a few years after to enjoy retirement. I want to retire at 60. Well, that that's a whole lot more powerful than just making a good rate of return or trying to beat the S&P by 1% or trying to trying to get my first 10,000 or try to get my first 100,000. When you put a reason behind that, it becomes a lot more powerful. And it just revolves around purpose at the end of the day. Like, I think a lot of people associate money with the word greed. Like, If you have more money, you're just more of a greedy and selfish individual. And it doesn't mean, obviously, you need to share it out with people and stuff. Like, You need to give all your money away. I mean, it's very nice and charitable if you do that. But I think at the end of the day, you need to remove the misconception that like, if you're trying to make money, it doesn't mean you're trying to be more greedy. You're just really trying to cultivate a future for yourself, which is really important. And you also mentioned something really important as talking with young business owners and stuff like that, people who are just starting out. There's a statistic out there at Babson. They said, if I'm not mistaken, that 45% of Americans think starting a business is easy, but Tons of businesses fail. I think roughly 50% of businesses fail by the end of their fifth year, if I'm not mistaken, just by the statistics that I've uh, researched before. And the main reason is because of like low cash flow, things like that. They aren't taking care of their money. They may be too focused on the purpose and they aren't necessarily balancing the money aspect out. So how do you like when you talk with these young individuals who say, I want to start, I want to get my side hustle off and turn it into a full-time business. Like, how do you talk with them? And like, what are some of the lessons you instill in them while they try to proceed and uh, run their business? I think there's nothing wrong with a side hustle. Absolutely nothing wrong, but you have to be careful because I think the misconception is side hustle for X amount of months, 
quit the job, start this business off of the side hustle, and then make your first million in, in three years, that kind of thing. So the problem with that, though, is that you have to be a little careful when you're starting your side hustle, right? So I always go back. It's a Japanese word. My dad's Japanese. You go back to your side hustle has to be, it's a word that, that says that the, the word is ikigai in Japanese. For those of you that don't know the word, ikigai is when, when four things collide, in, in this case, your side hustle. One is the fact that the side hustle, it has to be something that you're great at, right? It has to be a superpower. It, it can't be just like, well, I think I can be great at it. has to be where, the, where your friends, where your family, the people that know you say, you are exceptionally gifted at this. It's your superpower. It's like there's usually a handful of things like that, right? Second thing is you have to love it. So when you're doing your high side hustle, it has to be like Mihai. I can't always Mihai Sik Mihai. His book Flow talks about this. If you're in a situation where you're doing your side hustle and you look down at your watch and you thought it was four hours and it's an hour only, that's something you really love. The third thing is that it has to make the world a better place, not just for you to make money. And the fourth thing, of course, it does have to make some kind of capital, whether it's typically it's a combination of capital, emotional, human, and financial capital. When you have all those four corners and that's your, what we call the ikigai, and that's what you're doing with your side hustle, then you're probably like five to 10 times more likely to succeed on that side hustle. Yeah. And one of the trends that I'm seeing due to the pandemic, obviously, is there's a lot of people who have extra time. They they don't need to go make a two-hour commute to the office and a two-hour commute back, get home at night. I mean, they could work hypothetically two hours on that side hustle, two hours at the end, and their businesses are like profitable. People are trying to support small businesses during this time, perfectly understandable. But Obviously, like when the pandemic comes to a close, like what's going to happen from there? Are, are you going to go back to the office? Are you not going to be able to expense so much human capital to where it makes an impact on your actual life from that aspect? Like, do you see a trend with a lot of people starting more side businesses during this pandemic? I do. And it comes in a lot of different forms. I'm pretty, pretty active on the site LinkedIn. And I, I don't know how many followers I have, but you see some of the things that people are trying to do. They're trying to be an influencer or they're trying to get into marketing or they're trying to get into something. And that could be a problem because look, when I see someone that is trying to get into marketing and they've done no marketing before and they said, oh, I can show you how to utilize social media to, to really market your business. That's probably not a side hustle that's going to last. But if you really dig deep and do your research and you know build yourself a nice space, here's, a, here's something. I'm going to go off on a tangent here. But for someone that is looking to get into a side hustle, the best thing that you can do is you can look at someone that's really killing it in that particular side hustle, someone that's actually running a company, someone that's actually just considered an expert in that role, whatever that side hustle may be, whether it's blogging about SaaS companies whether it's podcast advisory, whatever the case may be, you go to the top and look, if someone came to me and said, Hey, from what I can tell you, you seem like a role model to me. And I want to ask you a few questions. You know what? I'm probably going to, to, to take the time because people usually ask, you know, Hey, what's the best stock can I buy? Hey, can I get a job at my ear firm? But when somebody actually is genuine about that and they do their research and they look at my LinkedIn page and say, hey, I've looked at your stuff. I looked at your content. Look at what you're doing. 
what are some of the things I'm trying to do what you're doing? What are a few things? Can you, can you take a look at what I'm trying to do? And maybe I'm not going to say yes, but the next guy will. Somebody will say yes. And if you can get several minutes on there, it save you a lot of heartache. It save you a lot of time. And also, the person might tell you, don't do it, right? Yeah. <laughs> something else. Or, look, I made that same mistake you're doing, and this is a tweak that you should do. So I think that's very important to just kind of do your research on that with some of the people that have done it. Thank you for that. I, I think that's such good advice, like mentorship and obviously looking up to people who have already walked the path. I mean, not everything needs to be like a hard path where you have to start from the beginning and you don't need help. A lot of people, they use the term self-made per se, like, oh, I did this all by myself. And that's just honestly like a pride and ego thing. At the end of the day, you should be asking people for help. People are much more willing to help than you think. I have, like, I consider a lot of people I meet mentors. So I must have tens of mentors, but I, I just talk with them and I ask them advice all the time, whether they're in my occupation or even whether they're outside of my occupation. I find it good to get both sometimes because sometimes I'd like to get it from like a consumer perspective. Like, hey, I'm starting this business. Obviously, like I could talk to this person and ask him and he's walked through the path before. But like as a consumer, like, would you buy my product? Like, what do you think of it? That really helps too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a good point, Ryan, just because of the fact that I think a lot of us, myself included, we don't ask. And then when we do ask, we're surprised that we get the positive response from these people. People are genuinely willing to help. And I think, don't worry if someone's not willing to help because the next person will probably help you. That's true. And, and the best way to do it also is to not necessarily be apologetic about it. I, I have a, one of my friends, she's actually an influencer and she reposted this story on Instagram. I mean, she has tens and thousands of followers. So she is, she's doing pretty well at her craft. But she posted a message and somebody said like, Hi, I'm sorry. I know you must be really, really busy. I apologize, blah, blah, blah. But it was, it was a meme version of it saying like, oh, I'm sorry. If, if you can't answer this question, no worries. My life is of no existence to anybody. Just like total meme. And when you talk to people, you, it's almost like you have to, if you show your positive intention and your originality and like how organic you actually are trying to be like, look, I'm not trying to ask for a sale. I'm just simply trying to ask if I could take 15 to 20 minutes of your time talk with you a bit like i would rather spend 15 to 20 minutes of my time helping another podcaster out instead of like doing what i'd normally do or like take a nap or something like that that's a that's an extremely good point and what's interesting about that i'm i'm in a guy named dan sullivan he's like the number one personal coach in in the world i'm part of his program one of dan, dan sullivan's things that he says is that the truly great the great people, the just the people that, that really get it, the people that you want to talk to, usually don't have fears of competition, right? Usually don't have fears of competition. You hit it right on the head right there in terms of podcasting. Someone asking you about, hey, I want to I want to get my podcast off the ground. Technically, someone on the outside would say, well, that's a competitor. Why would you help a competitor out? But when you're really good at something, when you're really great at something, you're really, th- those are the people you want advice from. Those are the types you want advice from. So yeah, don't be afraid to ask. I'm always flattered, you know, when when people if, if I knew this before, it would have been a whole lot easier getting the plane off the ground, if you will, and talking to my role models and mentors a whole lot easier and or, or, or getting their attention, I should say. 
So moral of the story, if you're trying to grow your wealth in 2021 onwards, whether at your start of your journey or your middle of your journey, like one, ask for help from dedicated finance professionals. And two, obviously, make sure that you have a a purpose behind every action and you balance that with like the, the financial mindset, correct? That's correct. That's correct. One more thing on side hustle here is that whatever the side hustle is, look, I talk to a lot of a lot of people that are trying to start companies, a lot of people that need seed investing, angel investing. And I think the ones where I kind of, since I talk to so many, I kind of get the glimmer on my eye off of certain ones. And the ones that typically, one, they're living in their ikigai. You could tell this is their mission. They're, they're, they're not stopping, right? But the other is that this is something that you should start when you do your side hustle is if someone comes to you and says, what do you do, right? There should be something along those lines that creates significant differentiation, right? So for example, in my role, somebody calls me and says, what do you do? And it's like, I could give the generic answer and just say, oh, I'm a financial advisor. Okay. There's, you know, a million of you out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm also a portfolio manager. Okay, that breaks it down a little. But when I mentioned working with professionals who work with billionaires and family offices and getting into hedge funds that people normally can't get to, you know, all of a sudden people are saying that guy's different. So you want to do it right off the bat when you're whatever the case, like I said, blogging and consulting, building software, whatever the case may be, you have to be, you have to have, you have to make a big effort to be different. It can't be a commoditized type of thing. It's just like, Hey, I'm going to blog. I'm going to blog about uh, productivity. Great. There's a hundred thousand bloggers doing that right now. But if you can kind of tweak it a little bit and say, "This is what makes me different," that's what what's what's, what's going to get the attention. That's all, what also will get the support of other people. That's so true. But to add on to what you just said, of course, differentiation is a really big thing. But one thing that I've found even just as big, if not bigger than differentiation is showing your enthusiasm and charisma and rising to the moment behind it. And that just requires practice. It's like a little bit of both. Well, this has been a really great conversation. I guess as a final question, I would say what advice or resources would you suggest to somebody who's trying to grow their wealth in 2021? So I would say pick Dave Ransby, Gene Chatsky, set some time for yourself to to have to review what's out there. What you what you really have to think about though too is I think it really goes back to what you're trying to do. What is the purpose? And I think for just kind of the bare bones che- uh, checking things off is that I think far too often this this generation, this time frame that we're in is so focused on trying to hit the home run with cryptocurrency or hit the home run with a, a SPAC play, whatever those, whatever the case may be there. I think you really have to look more at, at some of the easy wins out there. And the easy wins I just mentioned, look, your company's matching the 401k, put, put money, money in there. You're paying a boatload for taxes, find different ways to mitigate taxes. There's a lot of blogs out there that'll help you do that. But the other thing too, is that I haven't talked about this, but it's a, it's a huge deal to me, which is if you're starting out, you have credit card debt, don't invest a dime, right? Because pay that off. <laughs> pay that off. 20%, <laughs> which you'll have to make 30%, by the way. So you have to make 30% because you know, after taxes, you make 30% to 
So if you're doing, if you can guarantee me more than 30%, I have not met a soul out there that can do that. Then you should darn well pay your credit card. Here's the other thing though. People say, well, I've got this good deal and it's 5%. It's like, well, you know what? That takes a lot of energy just to try to like play that credit card game. There's going to come a time where you drop the ball and you're late on your payment. And then that plan completely goes out the window. Pay your debt off. It's both great on an emotional side, but it's also great just on a financial side, just, just easy blocking and tackling. And again, I, I, I think that you do this in a way where it's step-by-step. Step. You, you take a look at, you do a financial audit on yourself. You look, or you look for different different people that you respect, like Dave Ramsey or like Gene Chasky, or going online and reading about investing and financial planning. Get a financial planner. I think it's well worth it. Getting a financial planner, paying several hundred dollars to put you on the right path, um, is, is super helpful. Money well spent. You say, well, I, that's money I could invest. It will allow you to not make the dumb mistakes. It'll allow you to find cash. It'll allow you to do things that you know you, you probably never had thought about. And look, always be searching for what that ikigai is too. You might be in a position right now where you're just like, just buying your time. Look, that's fine. You got a job, keep working at it, but look at that side hustle. The side hustle doesn't mean something you have to make money right now. The side hustle means that it's kind of like what, what some people call their passion project, if they will. So look at certain things like that. And passion project may be working for another company. Passion project might be working for Apple or Google or something like that. Whatever it is, you have that where you're always striving, you're always working towards that ikigai. Where we're always having having joy, something you love, and something you're great at, something that makes you money, something that makes the world a better place. So dive deep into those things. Dive dive deep into your ikigai. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Exactly correct. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. For all those listening, I'm gonna go put a link in the description below. It's going to lead to Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover book. Regardless where you are in your financial journey, I think it's a good read. It's pretty quick, actually. It's about 200 pages, so it'll take a couple weeks depending on your reading schedule and how much time you have. But I think it's such a fantastic book. So overall, thank you for coming on, Mark. Appreciate it, man. Ryan, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much, man. For everyone listening, I appreciate you guys listening. All Mark's links will be in the description below, along with Dave Ramsey's book, if you want to connect with him or check out that book. For all those listening, once again, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Unmuted Generations. If you happen to enjoy this episode, enjoy this topic, or enjoy this guest, learn something new, feel free to leave a rating or review. It definitely provides me feedback and spreads the word. Other than that, I'll see you guys later. Bye.